unintended consequences every once in a while. Um, I was going to come out of that right into something else, and I decided I'm going to give a little gap between the two for now because it, it's, it's a little odd. Um, I have an interesting phenomenon in my head. I don't, I can sing the words to a song and tell you, not tell you a thing about what the words say. It's possible. I do it all the time. Um, I, just this morning, I'll, for the first time ever, I actually went through the lyrics of uh, Living on the Edge by Aerosmith in my head. Now, I, I've hummed the song, sang the song, been the song, but I've never really listened to the, to, to, to the words of the song. And I went, huh, there's kind of a decent message there. It's actually not that bad of a song. Uh, but the song we're going to talk about here is one of those songs that I've never listened to the lyrics till probably five years ago. And then ever since, this song has kind of bothered me. Okay? So Linda, see if you can start it. <laughs> see if it'll play.
Okay. Sung by? John Lennon. John Lennon. 1971. This is after the breakup of which band? The Beatles. Okay. They did. I call this the battle of two imagines. How the world looks to hope and then our reaction to that hope. No. Yeah, stop the music. It's okay. Stop Spotify. Okay, just turn it down over there. You got it? Yeah, you just gotta. Oh, because you got They can't get out with that. Turn it all the way down. That'll work. That'll work. Thank you. Technology now. The craziness of trying to manage different apps that are in there. Anyway, John Lennon and the Beatles basically sprang on scene early 1960s. As a band, where? Where'd they come from? England. England. Liverpool, to be exact, and um, burst onto the scene with a tremendous amount of musicianship, music that was appealing to um, all sorts of generations across the spectrum, especially during the decade of the 60s. They toured, and bands, why do bands tour? There you go, to sell albums, correct, thank you. One of the musicians. Bands tour, not necessarily, the event itself makes money, but for the most part, they tour in order to sell albums because the selling of albums at that point in time made them money. Now, it's interesting, uh, in today's world, can a band make money selling albums anymore? No. That's actually not, they can no longer make money selling albums because of Spotify, Apple Music, um, MP3s changed the world and changed the way in which bands operated. So actually, the interesting part is they've now gone back to, they no longer sell albums, they actually tour to make money. (laughs) So they produce music, so it's the complete opposite of what was going on in the 60s at the time. As the Beatles went on, getting into the the, the later 60s, an interesting thing happened for them, though. They no longer had to tour to make money. So they stopped touring, I want to say, what, 1967, 66, 67, they stopped touring, but they continued to make albums. Um, what things were used probably making most of their albums in the later 70s? Lots of drugs. Um, youth. Have you guys ever heard the song or seen the video to I Am The Walrus? <laughs> A lot going on there, right? And I mean, and, and they weren't sober when they did that, I'm pretty sure, right? Okay. I Am The Walrus is one of those crazy, so if you've never seen the video, it's out there in terms of what they've done. That woman right there, who's next to John Lennon? Yoko Ono. Basically partner, wife. Um, as they made the white, one of the things that happened is they made the White Album in 1968, which actually contained the song Revolution. Yoko began to have pretty good influence on John Lennon and him and her began to talk and she began to have collaborative efforts onto the music that they were creating and uh, began to really kind of rile up the band because never before had somebody else come in for the four of them uh, and and began to to do collaborative type stuff. And so one of the things she influenced him on was this idea of revolution. Revolution. The idea that, you know, this is the 60s. This is the, the beginnings of the free love, peace movement, and so forth. But really, it came across as a revolutionary movement. 
right? right. Um, the radical ideas that, that began to populate uh, in, 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 um, in universities and, and outside you know, as, as the protests were happening against the war in Vietnam, uh, he began to really dig into. And so the song Revolution actually was recorded onto the White Album. And Revolution, I mean, it is a revolutionary song, but it does speak of more of a peaceful revolution versus a, uh, versus a kind of, versus the violence that kind of was going on. So he's talking about, hey, if we want revolution, we need to do it in terms of peace. Beatles broke up soon after, uh, about 1969-ish, Beatles break up. John Lennon goes off and does his own thing. That's where Imagine came from. He actually recorded Imagine in 1971. Imagine was designed to be a revolutionary song to promote this revolutionary idea. But the problem with it is this, you, you're doing it in a country and in a world that was not going to be as acceptive to those ideas. So Imagine as a song was treated as a sugarcoating to these revolutionary concepts. Okay? Imagine there's no heaven and hell. Imagine that there's no countries. Imagine there's no possessions. What does that sound like? It, and it just, just right off the top of the head. Communism. Well, <laughs> exactly. The world order. This is 1971. Song actually doesn't really become popular until 75, so to speak, and hits the charts in 75. And then it actually exploded much later because of what event? His death. He got shot. And so this song kind of became into the popular uh, sphere, really, in 1981, 82, after John Lennon's death. But they're also saying that Yoko Ono caused it. There are, Yoko was a very big part of the revolutionary ideas that, that he had. Okay? Yeah, she, she had him killed. Yeah, they believe that. Yeah. Okay, John Lennon's imagined explained. Why in the world does he speak, hey, imagine there's no heaven and hell? What's the purpose in speaking that? No responsibility. No, no standard of right and wrong. Right? That's what they're looking towards. There is, and what does he end that with? He ends with living for when? Today. Don't worry about what you did in the past. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. Only live for today. That's the idea that, he, that they're creating here and trying to say, if you live for today, there's going to be greater chance of having peace in this world and defined by the way that they are defining peace, okay? No countries. Why do they not want countries? Imagine there's no countries, borders. Countries typically, the, you know, the simple concept was if there was no country to fight for, there would be no war to fight, for, fight with, Correct? They're looking for a way to find peace. One world, we all live in it, and no one claims that their world is better than any other world. That's the idea that they're trying to promote here, saying this is going to bring about the cause of peace. Um, no possessions. What about possessions makes this a concept? What, what, why, do they not, why do they say no possessions? No what? Poverty. They're looking to say, hey, no haves and have-nots. Everybody just shares together. And if possessions, countries, ideas of right and wrong 
have caused all the ills that have happened in the world since the beginning of time. If we just did away with these things that separate us, the world will live in peace. And you look here, you say I may be a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. That's, their con- that's the concept of 1971, 1981. But let's face it, does this sound familiar? Sounds like the government of the Antichrist. There you go. What's happening today? This was prophetic in many, sense, in, in many situations, in terms of it was, it, it's all the 60s fault, right? Everything's the 60s fault. If you, anybody who lived around there, it's all the 60s fault. It's actually not the 60s fault. This is humans' fault. And humans are basically moving towards this concept for a long time. But it's there. What is the Christian answers then to this? The Christian worldview answers to this. And they're there. What's the, heaven is the easy one, right? A heaven and hell. We don't have to put a lot of thought or a lot of ideas into saying there's an idea of heaven and hell in Christian thought. And um, with heaven or hell, basically what it's saying is there are consequences to actions. Without a heaven and hell, there is no judgment. But what does the Bible have to say about that? Hebrews 9.27, And justice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. This is a real thing. There are real consequences to behaviors that happen in the here and now. Your past behaviors have consequences. Your future behaviors have consequences. This is affecting you, whereas the ideas of humanism say, live for today. Basically, if it feels good, do it. Right? And here's, and I, Frank Peretti actually said this, if it feels good, believe it. Right? Because that's basically where we are going now. If it feels good, then you believe that, and you believe that as your truth. And if that's your truth, heaven help us if you're telling me my truth is wrong. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. He's going to judge the living and dead. This is coming. This is a reality for us in the Christian concept. A few days, one of the things here, how does the world react when you speak of judgment? And we have a pretty good example here in Acts where Paul has actually been arrested. He's before Felix and the the council. And and, uh, a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sent out for Paul. And they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment... What happened? Felix became frightened. So why does revolutionary concepts not want an idea of heaven and hell? It's scary. Put that aside. Live for today. Don't worry about your consequences previously. Don't worry about what future consequences are. Live for the now. Because when you live for the now, you avoid any form of fear what those are. Possessions from a Christian perspective. A human nature exercise. This one was a little more difficult to get to because 
you know, there are not a whole, there's not this, this specific passage in the Bible saying, here's possessions and why they can be important or not important or so forth. But I call this a human nature exercise because the issue with possessions becomes this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? As human beings, we're desperately wicked. We desperately have selfishness. We desperately have the deceit in us about this. So that if we say, everybody share, what ends up happening? We don't share is what ends up happening. Some hold on to other things and others hold on to other things. And eventually you end up with the same problem that we have, the haves and the have-nots, which is what their solution was. Do away with possessions, you don't have it. The problem with that philosophy is that it goes against the very nature of human beings in general. Okay? God says, as the Spirit of the Lord prompts you, we are to give. But the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race and he sees if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no, all have turned away, become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. As much as we want to achieve those things, those are things that we are attaining to, the reality is that we are not good. That's the reality. And so possessions... in the here and now tend to motivate us. One of the problems with not having possessions, what's the problem, what happens in, 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 in a, in a uh, I think they did a classroom exercise where they said, okay, we're gonna be a socialism, we're gonna put socialism to action here in this class, right? We're going to say, all those that make A's and all those that make F's and everybody in the middle, we're gonna average them out and everybody's gonna get that grade. Okay, all of a sudden, First couple tests come along, and the average grade is a B plus, because a lot of the people were trying to achieve. A lot of the people were studying and working hard, and so they pat. You know, the people that got A's got a B plus, and the people that got F's got a B plus. Couple weeks go by. Where does that B plus go? All becomes a C, and all of a sudden the C becomes a D. Why? Effort means nothing at that point. Why would you do it? As much as we want to say possessions are almost a value proposition for us to live in our humanity right now. And God calls us to handle our possessions wisely, to achieve, but he also calls us to work diligently and to get and has value to those that that get and and non-value to those that do not. Human nature born out of pride and selfish ambition, okay? 6,000, here's the problem with saying there's no possessions and everybody will live in peace. 6,000 years of human history have told you otherwise. There's not a single case in human history where people have shared and shared equally and gotten away with it. Christian, where's, where's Randy? Randy, how'd those Christian commune exercises work for you guys? They didn't last. They fell apart. So even in a Christian perspective of the 60s and the Jesus movement of the 70s, they began to try, because that, in a Christian perspective, it makes sense. Hey, 
Let's share. It talks about it in the Bible. Let's do this. But as people tried to achieve this inside of their identity in Christ, their human nature still took over. And it still became almost impossible to live life through that lens of possessions. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the, the guy who started his commune in All We're Going to Share ended up opening up a Bible bookstore and becoming very wealthy out of it. <laughs> so what did he end up with? Everybody else's money. Okay. What did, interestingly enough, here's John Lennon saying, imagine there's no possessions. Um, what was his life? You know. <laughs> Paul McCartney certainly became that over the years. Paul McCartney actually said, they said, Paul McCartney has written or produced the most music of any person in human history. He's collaborated on all that many things in, in terms of his ability to write music. That's what made the Beatles, the Be guys, the Beatles were great. Mm -hmm. They were able to write great music and because they were ultimately talented and that talent led them to the things of the world that they had and led John Lennon to be able to try and say something against it yet continue to live his life the exact opposite way. It's easy to say no possessions when you have all of them. <laughs> okay. The third thing here is the one that's interesting because borders, culture, language, and other things. On the outset, if I said, hey, we all need to live together in peace, united as one. Does that sound good? It sounds on the, on this side, it sounds good. But is it good, Rick? Okay, he actually said no this time. Good, I like it. I did that on purpose. Okay. Three world events that changed the world. There were three major events in this world that affected every single human being on earth at the time. What's the first one? No. Before that. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Sin of Adam and Eve affected every human being in world history. Correct? Correct. Not a single person was left aside. Second one. You said it. The flood. Every human being on earth at the time was affected by the flood. How were they affected? They died. They died. They're gone, other than eight. God started over. The wickedness of humans was so bad that he started over with eight. Okay? What was the third one? No. No. This is an event that affected every single human being at the time of the event. Tower of Babel. Okay? What happened at the Tower of Babel? Boom. Bingo. <laughs> Nimrod. <laughs> Nimrod. <laughs> what a Nimrod, right? But Nimrod was a dude. And he was heading up kind of the religion of the world at the time, so to speak. They actually, legend says Nimrod created religion as most of the Eastern religions and even the uh, Western gods of the Greek gods. If you notice how the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the uh, Indian gods, all kind of are the same. They have a god of 
uh, you know, uh, of light, dark, hell, love. They just call them different names. And in Roman and Greek gods, they're interchangeable. They, they pretty much have the same legends and same things that go along with them. They think all of that actually goes back to that dude right there. Because he was trying to make a name for themselves and said, we all come together. We're going to come together as one. We're going to build a building to show God how great we are in unity together. Because that's, at this point, the world was united. They had one language, one culture, no borders. And great evil began taking place. So what God do? There they go. Now, was the splitting up of people good or bad? It was good. In this case, it was good. This is what God's plan was. Humans together, united together, in total unity, brought about ultimate evil. If God had the ultimate, this was the last time of ultimate punishment on the entire earth. Until what point? Until he comes again, guys. In between what's going to happen in the end and now was God's plan. But we're going to go back to this idea that we have one world. One world to one world. Revelation 13, Revelation 17, Daniel, all speak of this, of a single ruler coming, taking control, and the people of the world worshiping him. The people of the world gravitating to him. And what happens if you don't in that world? There's going to be consequences, Right? So I want to go back to what John Lennon said here, because that is the Christian, you know, they're, they're, they're the Christian idea here, but this seemed like a very benign statement. You may say I'm a believer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. But what's happening in today's culture if you are going counter to the culture? Cancel culture. I hope someday you'll join us. It begins with a hope. Hey, someday you'll join us. We'll all live as one. But what if you don't? Well, we're going to find a way to move you, persuade you to our way. Oh, you didn't do that. Okay, well, you're now no longer going to have a voice in what we do. That's the beginning. No, all of a sudden, their ways and practices aren't working because they'll never work. We know that. But they move from persuade and nudge to cancel, move on to, well, now what? What do we do with these people that are stopping us from living as one? Blame us, put us in camps, and eventually line you up and shoot you. That's the, that's the benign statement that's saying right here. It's subtle. But I hope you'll join us. Because when we take power, you're not going to have much of a choice in what we do. 
I define this as the spirit of the age. This idea of John Lennon is the spirit that is reigning rampant in today. Six, this was it, 60 years ago now? Was it 1920? 60 years since the song was written. And that song has began to really play itself out and accelerate this idea of one world. Right? What about, you know, the interesting one about borders and countries is what are they trying to do? They're trying to de-emphasize the goodness of the United States, England, so forth, and emphasize others. Why? You need to bring everybody together for what you're doing. Who's the author of the spirit of the age? How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth. You who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said for you to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb the highest heavens and be like the most high. Satan had one world here and began to, to, to mobilize it. God destroyed it. Satan is trying to move us right back to there again. Why? Because ultimately he wants to be worshiped. Ultimately, he wants to be it. That's where this is headed. That's where we're going. That's the truth of the matter. Inside the spirit of the age, how does it affect each and every one of us? Spirit of the age affects people like this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Stop me if you think this is all bunk. (laughs) They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with their pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. The effect on the human race is being happening before our eyes. Social media is fun, right? But it promotes this. Live for today. There's no consequences to your action. Tomorrow has no consequences. Basically, the spirit of the age says this. I'm going to put hope in man, which eventually is hope in in Satan. Satan wants us to focus our hope in ourselves and the greatness of mankind. Facts, 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 correct? My challenge here is this, that all is true, period. That's where this world is headed. The problem is this, do we have misplaced hope? Okay, now it sounds simple. No, I put my hope in Jesus. It's cliche at this point. Because the reality is, for me, I wake up and I read the news. I wake up, media penetrates me. 
I wake up, I see what's happening to the United States and to the world. And I see all those truths that is happening there. And what happens to my hope? I begin to put hope in politics. I begin to put hope in Trump. I begin to put hope in a politician of some form. I begin to put hope in some activity I can go do to protest whatever ideas that I find repugnant. This is misplaced hope. We see these realities before us, and we need to talk about these realities together because they are true. But the problem is, once we begin focusing so hard on these realities that are absolutely true, we misplace the idea of hope that God has put in us. And it's tough. We see churches splitting over these issues. So this isn't just in the political scheme of things, because politics certainly are splitting people. What happens when you debate? So I'm going to have a debate with Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm going to have a debate. You have your argument. I have my argument. Okay? What begins to happen in me about that? What happens in you in that argument? As I, as I try to, to knock your opinion down, you try to knock my opinion down. What starts to happen internally in you? Emotions. What emotions? Anger. Defense. The, the immortal philosopher Yoda said it best. And I'm not going to do the voice because the voice is silly. I wasn't going to, I normally would, but I'm not here. But fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. When we go out into the world and we try to place our hope in our arguments, place our hope in our defenses, when we have debates with people that believe differently than we do. It leads to emotions that are damaging, harmful. Do not, first of all, they take away our hope, but at that point, the saying I said like this, we try and change the hope of others instead of living the hope that is actually in us. That's what we do. I do it every single day. This is not a, this, I'm not up here saying I'm immune to this effect. This is the world we live in and this is where we're at. In my, on Thursdays when, when I do the class up here, one of the popular sayings I said is this, God's economy is the exact opposite of ours. We think we have to fight the fight. We think we have to stand up for truth. We think we have to make all of this happen because we can change all these people. Well, first of all, who changed you? Was it a clever argument? Was it a debate? Jesus changed you and used people around you that showed you hope through their actions and through their behaviors, not because they made some great debate to you. So if your life was changed by Jesus 
And by people showing you true hope, what should, be our, what should we place our hope in? Came across this, and this was pretty convicting to me. Sorry. It's interesting. I, I start these to do you know, sermons, and I've got ideas and so forth. And the sermon and the, uh, the ideas don't really come together until it truly hits my heart. And a lot of times that happens Saturday night. <laughs> I put this all together, I get it, and then what, what I do is I actually practice the sermon. And the practice is so terrible. If I ever showed you the recording, you'd hate it. But the practice puts it into me, the reality of what I'm speaking. And then it becomes personal. Then it becomes something that's teaching me and hopefully I express that to you. This verse, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Many times in these debates of displaced hope, it's really selfish ambition and envy disguised as I'm defending the truth. It's a disguise. Because we're feeding a part of our humanity here that wants to be fed. But what is our reaction? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This false hope, Satan doesn't care which side you're on as long as you're fighting for the side. If you're fighting, you have false hope, and he's, he's, he's good with that. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, and here's the opposite world that God lives in versus what we do. First of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You want righteousness? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Where in that list was debate, argument, fighting, quarreling? Whether we're fighting with the world, but let's face it, guys, um, we fight in the church. How many of our debates are filled with peace-loving, considerate, submissive, mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere that when we debate together in here are filled with that kind of language? Everyone, it does, but it's hard. Most, if not all, we have how many denominations? Steve, how many denominations are out there? Oh, Steve, I put there. How many denominations are out there, Josh? 33,000 denominations of Christianity that's out there. Are they separated because of love? Because they were sincere, full of mercy? No. They're separated because envy, selfish ambition, disorder, every evil practice. Because we're human. They couldn't trust Peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Elliot, you guys can come up. What I'm asking here is 
changing your hope. Our hope is not in what happens in the world because what is going to happen in the world? What's well, a fact? Fact, fact. Well, how is this thing ending? It's going to be destroyed. That's a fact. Can you change that fact? No. Nothing you can do. Are there actions that you can do that can alter that? No. God's going to do it. What can you do in the meantime? Live peace-loving, considerate, submissive lives, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Be a peacemaker, so in peace. Why, does that, why is that more effective than a fight? What makes it more effective? You lose the fight. What else? What's effective about that? You've got to trust it. It's different than the world. When you go fight the world on the world's terms, all they see is the world. If a non-Christian comes into a church and sees a church fighting in bitter envy, selfish ambition, and denying the truth... What are they going to turn to in hope? Be different. Sow in peace. Our hope is built in something much more. We build it in terms of our actions, but it's set here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is and seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. John Lennon talked about imagine a world, and he was sugarcoating the ideas of revolutionary thinking that was leading to the end of the world for all intents and purposes. But we have a different imagine. We have a different hope. We have the hope that this world is no longer going to be. And we're going to be with the God who created us. In worship, in fellowship together. The party that's going to be thrown is uh, a spectacle to be thought of. This song here that we're going to play shows us the opposite of what John Lennon put his hope in. John Lennon put his hope in man. Good luck with hope in man. We put our hope in the heavenly that is to come. Love you. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me.
I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I could only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I will do Is forever Forever worship